Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Nehemiah, chapter 13, and verse 24. Nehemiah, chapter 13, and verse 24. What are you teaching your children? So we're in the book of Nehemiah. We are coming to the end of the book of Nehemiah. You would think by now that everything was really working out. The wall has been put together. They've been worshiping God. And Nehemiah leaves town for about a year and goes back to where he used to work as a cupbearer in Babylon. And while he's gone, the people rapidly return to their wicked ways. And the next thing you know, they're intermarrying with people that worship false gods. We've talked about that. And uh, when he gets back, he says, what in the world? Your children don't even speak Hebrew. Your, spilt, your children don't know how to talk about our God. They're talking about another God. You're, 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 half, the, half their speech is worldly speech. I cannot believe you have so quickly allowed this to happen. You made big promises to God, but you hadn't been keeping them. You have turned back from where you were. I really think this is very relevant to you and me today. I think we get in trouble. I think we need God and we make promises to God. And I think God begins to bless us based on us on his goodness and his desire to bless us when we're doing right. But it doesn't take long for us to shift right back to where we were. Right back to what we were doing, we seem to go back to that. So today, I pray God would deal with our hearts that we would say, I'm going to do right. I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to honor God, and I'm going to do the right thing. Let me read with you Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 6, and I want to have a word of prayer. And then we'll work our way through this chapter. The Bible says in Nehemiah 13, 6, But in all this time was I not at Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days I obtained leave of the king. Father in heaven, I desperately need you this morning. I want to explain your word. I want to help it be clear. I want it to touch our hearts. I want to ask you to grow your people. I want to ask you to mature your people. God, I can't do it. They'll not hear me. They'll not listen to me. They'll see it as my opinion versus their opinion. But if your Holy Spirit would work this morning and convict people and work in their hearts, then God, they'd be changed. So I come to you and I ask you to work. I ask you to help us to be spirit-filled listeners to open our hearts, and to be ready to hear your word. And I'll give you praise for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you teaching your kids? How serious a question is I know how to ask you. You skip church for the dumbest reasons. You leave your Bible at home on vacation. You don't honor God with your money. You don't honor God with your time. Uh, you say you love Jesus. You talk all the right language. You sound like a good Christian. But your kids know what's really going on. They know you. You're not willing to honor God with money, but you're willing to honor a sport with it. You're not willing to honor God with your money, but you're willing to honor your pastime with it. And your kids are learning from you. By the grace of God, this is a young church. 
by the grace of God, most of you are young families, which is a great thing. We can still save our families. If you're not careful, your children will not serve God. And if you're not careful, your children will go to the devil himself. Almost every church you go to around America, it's all a bunch of old white-headed people. I can say that. I am one. I often go to churches to preach, and I'm a young man in my 60s. And I look around the room, and I'm like, where are they? They lost their kids. It'd be wonderful if their kids were in somebody else's church, but then somebody else's kids would be in their church, wouldn't they? But they're gone. So I want you to go through the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13 with me. And I want you to pay honest attention to what's happening and bring it down to real in your life. The first thing that happens in this chapter is the leader's gone. The leader is gone. He's not even the pastor, by the way. I think you need to know Nehemiah's not a preacher. Nehemiah's not a pastor. He's more like a governor. He's more like the mayor. He's more like the county sheriff. He's more like a political leader than he is a priest or a preacher. But he is the most spiritual leader they seem to have in town. I mean, the preachers in this book are like willy-nilly cowards, led about by whatever the lay people want them to do, and there's only one guy that stands up and says, bless God, we're going to do the right thing. And his name is Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 6, he's been gone from Jerusalem. You ought to underline that. Verse 6, all this time was I not in Jerusalem. The lack of spiritual leadership in the city of Jerusalem is very obvious. He spent 12 years there. And while he was there for those 12 years, things were flying along. But he's been gone about a year. And now the people have reneged on their promises to God. And without spiritual leadership, they have gone astray. And you need to understand in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the apostle Paul warned the early church just like that. He said, you guys need to be really careful. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock. He said, as soon as I'm gone, you can mark it down. Some wicked people are going to come in here and get you away from serving Jesus. And he said in verse 30, and some of them are going to be part of you guys. Some of your own people in this room are going to rise up and speak perverse things and get people to quit following Jesus. In verse 31, he said, watch, keep your eyes open, be on guard. Remember, I have warned you for three years to do the right thing. And now I give you over to God. A church needs spiritual leadership to keep everyone in the Bible. Our natural tendency is for a family life center. Our natural tendency is upward basketball. Nothing wrong with either one of those. Our natural tendency is activity. Our least natural activity is get in the Bible, find out what God has to say, and obey the Word of God. A church needs spiritual leadership. A family needs spiritual leadership. Dad, why don't you grow up? Why don't you stand up and say to your family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And come Sunday morning when they want to go to the ball game, or come 
come a weekday when they want to go out and get a party going, you ought to say to them, we chose to serve God, and I will lead this home. Truth must be constantly repeated and meditated on. That's the truth of this whole chapter. First promise they broke was they, wouldn't, they didn't separate from sin. Look with me, if you would, in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 28. If you don't separate from sin, you're going right back to it. You can't just stop. you got to get away from it. You can't just say, I don't worship devils. you got to get away from people that worship devils. You can't say, I don't, I don't uh, do this wicked sin. you got to get away from that. We separate from people that don't love God. Did you hear that? We separate from people that don't love God. In Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 28, the Bible says that they separated themselves from the people of the land. You need to underline in verse 28, we talked about separation. Separation's always from to. From to. Look, if you would, in chapter 10 and verse 28, they separated themselves from the people of the land unto the law of God. They said, we won't do what people think is right. We'll do what God says is right. We won't go by public opinion or popular opinion. We'll find out what God says. And in chapter 10 and verse 28, three chapters ago, they made that choice. Verse 29, they entered into a curse. If you've been going through the Bible, you should have that underlined. They said, we'll do it or we want God to punish us. We give our word. We sign our name. We have made our choice. We will serve God. Verse 30, they promised what they wouldn't do. They said, we will not give our daughters to these lost people. I'm not going to let a devil-worshipping lost man have my daughter. Now, I say that very harshly, but let me explain to you. They looked real good. They looked real good. These devil-worshippers didn't have tails and horns. They looked like a city councilman. They looked like a good Democrat. They looked like a good Republican. They looked like a good a person in your community. They looked like somebody that belonged to one of the civic clubs. They just didn't worship God. They didn't walk around going hiss, hiss, hiss like a, de- a demon or a snake. They just didn't talk Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he said, we won't give our daughters to them. Now go to chapter 13 and verse 1. Chapter 13, Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 1. They have intentionally or unwittingly married Ammonites and Moabites. In chapter 13 and verse 1, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people and found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite shouldn't enter into the congregation of God. Now, if you got your Bible open, I wish you'd underline this. They read in the book. Would you just underline that? You know how to keep yourself straight? Read in the book. You know how to know what's right? Read in the book. Underline that in verse 1. They read in the book. They read in the book. Now, how many of you are not having a habit of reading in the book. How many of you don't have a habit of opening this book and saying, God, I need to hear from you. I need to know what you think. And he'll say, well, read my book. And you've been reading your book. And then I want you to underline that same verse. He said, and they found written. It's amazing what you find when you read. (laughs) You're like, I didn't know he said that. Well, you just hadn't been looking at the writing. Because when you look at the writing, it's right there. He found written that they shouldn't marry them. You'll find God's will and God's truth in the Bible. Ammon and Moab were the children of Lot and his incest with his daughters. So these are two cursed groups of people. It is a wicked daughter who went in and slept with her drunk daddy. And the next night, the other daughter did the exact same thing, and that's where these people come from. 
They are the enemies of God. It's amazing what happened when they read the Bible. Look, if you would, at chapter 13 and verse 3. When they heard the law, underline that, they heard the law, they separated from all Israel, from Israel, all the mixed multitude. I wish you'd underline they heard the law. Now, you are hearing it this morning. I'm reading it to you. And as you read the Word of God, and as you see it right there in front of you, you ought to be saying, I really don't care what Austin's got to say, but if it's in the book, it's for real. I don't care what Austin has to say, but if it's in the book, I will. And they heard the law, and they separated. They realized this isn't what a man wanted to do. This is what God wanted them to do. Can I get an amen there? We came here today, not as lost people. We came here today as born-again people who want God's will. We came here today to say, open God's book. Let's see what God has to say. Because I love God and I want to serve God. God had forbidden this union in Deuteronomy 23, 3 and 4. This group of people had hired Balaam, a, a wicked, idolatrous, money-hungry preacher. And he hired him to curse God's people. And when he went up and tried to curse God's people, he said curses and out came blessings. Because <laughs> God said, you ain't messing with my people, boy. And so Balaam said, well, we can't, I can't put the curse on them. But here's what we can do. We can mix with them. We can mix with them. And what a curse won't do, mixing with them will do. So if you'll just go marry their daughters and go to parties with them and hang out with them, you can teach them not to worship their God. And then God won't bless them. And so Balaam won in the long run, unbelievers infiltrated with God's people and brought problems to God's people. How many people in this room are falling for the, the, the Balaam's curse? How many of you are like, yeah, I, my best friends are Hindus. <laughs> my best friends are Buddhist. You say, well, Brother Austin, shouldn't we witness to them? Yeah, but when you do, they'll either get right or get mad. You see, real witnessing doesn't say, hey, I'll go to your church and we'll worship your God and you'll come to my church and I'll worship my God and we'll just be buddies. We will coexist. You, Jesus doesn't coexist with anybody. He is the only one who exists and he expects it to be the way it works. So they met the children of Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 2. They hired Balaam. You can never imitate the world and hope for God's blessings. We can never imitate the world. So churches have the desire, man, we need more people to come to our church, so let's get worldly. Well, churches weren't meant to get worldly. Churches were meant to get the world out of people and get Jesus into people. We can't dumb down the church enough and dumb down the Word of God enough that lost people will like it. Darkness always hates light. Evil always runs from right and good. Those who love sin and rebellion and Satan will always hate God and submission and righteousness until they are converted. We want people to come to know Jesus. They had so mingled with the world that a wicked man was given lodging in the very house of God. Look at Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 4. Now, you got to understand, once you start making friends with them, you got to be nice to them. And the priest, Eliasab, he's a buddy with Tobiah, and Tobiah is the guy that all book long has been causing trouble for Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's out of town, 
And so Eliasab, chapter 13 and verse 4, allies himself. He intermarries. His family marries with the wicked guy's family, and he's in charge. He has the oversight, look at it, of the chamber of the house of God, and he's allied with them. See, when you make friends, you make concessions. When you make friends, you make concessions. If we're going to get along, I won't say what offends you, even if it's right and even if it's true. And you won't say what offends me. What are you teaching your children? It was friendship over faithfulness. And so it got so bad in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 5 that they gave him the big room. Now, down at the church, they did, you know, nowadays, our big room for the, all the offerings at this church is down at the bank. And now we do it all with paper, you know, or just digits. I don't even know if there's any real paper out there. It's just all digits. But in their day and time, when you came to church on Sunday, you came in with a bunch of avocados and some grapes and some watermelons and uh, all the food. And they had this big room set aside. And as the people of God came in, they took that stuff and they put it in this big room. And that was going to meet the needs of the preachers and the Levites and the work of God. But in chapter 13 and verse 5, Eliasab said, we don't need that room anymore. We're so lined up with the world, we don't even give our money to this. Our money now goes to junk. We've quit honoring God, and we've started honoring ourselves. And so in verse 5, he prepared for him a great chamber, a big room that beforehand, aforetime, they had put the meat offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes and the new wine and the oil. And that had been commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. He replaced obedience to God with friendship with the world. No more offerings, no more obedience, but we will be accepted and respected by the world. You know, I want my lost neighbor to just think I'm a great guy. I don't want him to think I'm a fanatic. I don't want him to think I dedicate so much of my life and my time to God. I wouldn't want to come across as one of them people who gives God so much money. I wouldn't want to come across as one of them better than thou, guys. I need to hang out with the drunkard, and he likes to need, he needs to like me. I need to hang out with the God-hater, and he needs to like me. And that's what ends up happening in Nehemiah. There's a great lesson here. You have to choose to please your family or God, but you can't choose both. You see, the whole Christian life is take up your cross. And taking up your cross means saying no to you and no to your family and yes to God. I will not do what regular American people do. I will not do what regular people on this planet do. I will honor God. I know this morning they're all over the city. This is not even a day for God. There's, they don't care about worship. They don't care about honoring God. They're out doing all their games, and, 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 and they even mock us. They drive by and say, them people wasted our money. Other people got tax-free up there. Look at all the people just up there doing dumb stuff, and you're buying into it. Hmm? The priest threw away his ministry by marrying the wrong person. Nehemiah wasn't there providing spiritual leadership. Churches fail when men and women in leadership do not walk with God. Families fail when parents do not step up and lead their home in the word of God and obedience. Listen to me, your kids are going to walk away from God because you need to stand up and say, we will serve God. We will read the Bible. We will honor God. We will do what's right. If you don't do that, you're teaching them another lesson. So Nehemiah takes a biblical stand. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 7. Y'all mad at me yet? 
I mean, I've really, you, you don't know it, but I'm really, at the first Sunday in, in all the years I've been preaching, I'm struggling with junk I had no, normally struggle with. So I know the devil don't like me being here. So what I'm saying to you, I just hope you take it. In Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 7, Nehemiah gets back to Jerusalem. I love his verse. You got to understand, old Nehemiah, he's, he's had the money. He's had the position. He's worn the nice clothes. He stood next to the king. He's been a cupbearer to the king, and he chose the cross over the cup. And he's been leading these people for 12 years. He's been back in Babylon, and now he's come back to Jerusalem. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, it says in verse 7, I came to Jerusalem, and I understood. I figured it out. I understood the evil that Eliasab did for Tobiah. He says, Eliasab wants to be the friend of lost people. He's more concerned about what lost people feel than what God feels. And he's made a compromise with them. And he gave him that room. He recognizes the evil the man of God has committed. He sees a wicked man has been put in God's house in place of the offerings. And it breaks his heart. Look at 13.8. In 13.8 he says, man, it grieved me sore. Tennessee hillbilly is, boy, that burnt my backside. I went, what in the world? This is where God's stuff's supposed to be. What's this pagan doing in God's house? That's what old Nehemiah's thinking. You say, I don't think he was that violent. Hang on, baby. He's going to be slapping him around in a minute. I mean, this is like the meanest uh, spiritual leader you ever met. He said, then he said, now look at it. He said, I cast forth. I don't really know how that works. You know how Jesus turned the tables over? Does this mean Nehemiah just walked in there and just walked over and said, get this out of here? Is that what it means? That's kind of it's kind of what I read there. John just took a duck. <laughs> Look at it. Is that what I cast forth? That's pretty strong talk. He said, I went in there. It grieved me. So I threw his junk out. Oh, Tobiah comes walking up, and he's like, here comes his underwear. Boom. There comes his bed. Boom. I, I know Tobiah's probably like, what in the world? And they look up and there's the man of God. Look at verse 9. He said, I commanded and they cleaned. Oh, Nehemiah walked and said, get that guy out of here. And go in there and wash it down with soap and water and bleach and get the filth out of that room. That's God's room. He said, then I went and said, go find all God's vessels and bring them back. He said, you know what I noticed? Chapter 13 and verse 10 he said, they done quit taking care of the men of God. Look at it, verse 10, I perceived that the portions of the Levites hadn't been given them. And they all ran for home. See, what ended up happening was the Levites were supposed to live off those offerings, but now Tobiah's living in the room where their offerings come from, so they've all left. Nobody's doing the preaching work anymore. Nobody's setting up the auditorium. Nobody's getting everything ready anymore. They ran. You see, they didn't keep their promise to separate from sin, and now they didn't keep their promise to support the work of God. Look at verse 11. Then contended I, why is the house of God forsaken? Why aren't y'all taking care of God's house? That's what he says. He said, y'all promised you would. Look back to Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 39. The children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering unto the chambers and look at the last phrase of that verse. We will not forsake the house of our God. You can hear it, can't you? It was a revival meeting. There were people at the altar. I'll separate from sin. I'll take care of the man of God. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I will do right. Three chapters later, 
They have forgotten all that. So Nehemiah got things back in order. In chapter 13 and verse 12, they started bringing their tithes back. And then they set up the budget at the church to make sure, it wasn't a church, it was a nation of Israel, to make sure the men of God were taken care of. 13, 13, I made treasurers over the treasures. I found men that were counted faithful and would give the money out, distribute unto their brethren. You ought to underline that. Nehemiah wants God to remember him. What's really beautiful in this whole chapter is Nehemiah is like, God, you know, these people don't even like me. I've been slapping people around. I've been making people do right. And I'm not sure they like me, but I need to know you like me. Read the verse with me. And that ought to, by the way, Dad, you don't need your kids to like you. You need God to like you. And when God likes you, your kids will love you. See, you're, you, you being a yes man to a bunch of brats is not manhood. You ought to say to them, we're going to church. We don't miss. Doors open, we're there. You say, well, what about this? Uh, what about it? Huh? You mad yet? Chapter 13, verse 14, read this. Remember me, oh my God, concerning this and wipe not out my good deeds I have done for the house of my God and for the offices of God. Please remember me. When it's all said and done, God, I want to know this, that you think I have shown my love for you, that I have done the right thing. Don't forget, because I'm not making decisions based on what's popular. I'm making decisions based on what you want. Can I get an amen right there? Now, if God remembers you, what will he remember about you? Will he remember you as faithful? <laughs> will he remember you as obedient? Will he remember you as taking care of his work or taking care of yourself? Can I remind you not to get too mad right here? We're in Nehemiah 13. We was in 12 last week. And so if you think, boy, he's picking on me. Well, actually, 13 just came after 12. You say, what a coincidence you're preaching on this. Not really. We've been on this course a long time. They also didn't keep their promise about honoring God's day, the Sabbath. In chapter 13 and verse 7, I contended with the nobles. And I said, what evil is this that you do in profaning the Sabbath? Now, the Sabbath's not our day. That's Saturday. But the Jewish people, to honor their God, were to not do stuff on that day. It was God's day. And they had promised that in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 31, that they wouldn't buy, they wouldn't do business, that they would set that, side of, uh, that day aside for God just like he told them to. They made that promise. But they forgot. You know, like you did. Oh, God, I love you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll honor you. I'll serve you. I'll be there. Oh, sorry, God, I forgot. I got other activities. Check you later. You hang tight. I'll be back. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 15. Oh, Nehemiah shows up. He says, I saw in Judah some people were treading on the wine presses on the Sabbath. And they were bringing stuff in to sell on the Sabbath. And I testified against them. That's all in verse 15. He said, They were selling food. They were just going about life like God's day wasn't God's day. He said, so I said, hey, I need to explain to y'all what the Bible says. And he's talking to Jewish people in his Old Testament, but he preached to them. And then he says something really interesting. What you teaching your children? Verse 18, he said, did not your fathers do the same thing? And did not our God bring evil on us and upon our city? 
yet ye bring more wrath? He said, guys, stop. Did we not figure out in Nehemiah chapters 1 through 12 that the reason we're suffering is our parents didn't honor God? And we're suffering the consequences. The reason we were in Babylon for 70 years is our parents didn't obey God for 490 years, and we've been slaves. Boy, it's been rough, and it was mama and daddy that brought it on us, and now you're trying to bring it on your own kids. Can't you learn anything? They had all suffered from the consequences of their parents' sins, and now they're falling into the same trap. How quickly we forget our promises to God. How easily we slip back into the old way of life. That's <laughs> the so old Nehemiah. He stands back up and says, time to take another stand. Here comes another one. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 19. It came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates be shut and they will not be open again. And he said, I sat by the gates and I made sure nobody was about business on that day. Read the verse. So Nehemiah went down. He said, shut the gates. There's gates all around that city. Shut the gates. They're not coming in. You're not doing business. We're going to honor God. We made that promise, and we're going to keep it. That's what he said. And then what happened was all the merchants just came and camped out right outside the gate. They just said, well, if he won't let us in, we'll be ready for first light, buddy. We'll be in there. So then he said, chapter 13 and verse 20, nope, you're leaving. No camping next to the walls. He said, if you do, verse 21, I'll lay hands on you. I like this preacher. I mean, I picture a young, he's not a preacher, he's a, he's a, a businessman. <laughs> I mean, he goes out and says, uh-uh, no, 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 you don't park next to my gate. You're not waiting to do wrong. To soon, or, nope, not happening. Leave, and if you don't, I'm going to beat the slop out of you. That's, that's King Austin's translation of your King James right there. I will lay hands on you. I don't think he meant, God bless these people as I pray over them. I think he meant, I'll prove it in a minute. He's going to slap them around. And he said to the men of God, time y'all woke up and started doing your job, you bunch of lazy preachers. You bunch of lazy preachers? Chapter 13 and verse 22, I commanded. I hate that. I hate to think that some businessman had to walk in and say, get out of bed, you bunch of lazy preachers, and get about doing your job. But that's pretty much what I read here. He said, I commanded. I said, y'all take a bath and get holy. Clean up and sanctify. Make holy God's holy day. This is a man's thing. <laughs> you say, I'm a little offended. I bet you are. You ran into a real man of God. Oh, Nehemiah. Good night. Nehemiah didn't have a backbone. He had a railroad beam back there. Everybody else might bend and bow. Oh, Nehemiah said, I don't bend and I don't bow. He wanted God to know he'd been doing right. Here he comes again. He loves to say, God, hey, God, I'm out here fighting with everybody. Just me all by myself fighting with all them people. Please don't forget me. Look at Nehemiah 13, 22. Remember me, oh, my God, concerning this also. You know I've been fighting with them a lot. Spare me. According to the greatness of thy mercy, I go out there and I get ready to whoop them. They might all try to gang up on me. So God, just remember, I'm your guy. Give me power to whoop them. Whoop them. That's Tennessee Hillbilly for beat them up. Whip them. 
So now he says, we need to talk about the fact y'all been marrying the wrong people. <clears throat> Thirteen twenty-three. In those days saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Y'all have married women from people that don't love God. Let's change that for you. You have married women of Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and you married them. You married them. And he said, your children have learned from your wives how to speak, talk about other gods and not the real God. Look at chapter 13, verse 24. You got it. This is all Bible. Come on. Are you mad? I'm just reading the Bible. 1324, and their children spake half the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language. You understand what he, he said? I go in there and talk to your kid. He understands how to pray to Muhammad. He understands how to pray to Allah, but he doesn't know how to pray to God. Because your wife spends more time with the kids anyway, and your wife doesn't even love the God of heaven. What you teaching your kids? What are you teaching your kids? I know you're not going to hear this at a normal church because they're not going to get into the Bible. But we're just reading the Bible. And churches are supposed to read the Bible. Amen. They couldn't speak the Jews' language, 1324. They couldn't speak the Jews' language. Now, what's the Jews' language? What's Hebrew? It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's Joshua. And Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, and Job and Psalms, and all the way to Malachi. Thirty-nine books. That's God's talk. And your kids are becoming more familiar with football terms and basketball terms. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. They're more familiar than they are with the, His words. That's your leadership, sir. I know how to race this car. I know how to play this golf game. I know how to fly this airplane. And I know more about that than I know about God. You get to talking to them about flying an airplane, they're going to get excited. You get to talking to them about loving Jesus, and they're going to get real depressed. Bored's the word. God stuff bores me. Well, that's because you got the wrong mama in this chapter because she doesn't love God. In our context, it might be you got the wrong mama and dad. They're not teaching you. Y'all mad yet? If you think you're mad, Hang on, because Nehemiah is fixing to show his colors. Nehemiah 13, 25. You have your Bibles open? I'm going to go a little over today. I don't do it normally, so charge me next week. Verse 25, I contended. That means I got in a fight with them, argument with them. I cursed. <laughs> now, that's not like he didn't say blankety-blank words. He said, God will not put up with this. God will bring judgment on you. That's what that kind of curse means. You can't play this game and get away with it. That's what the curse means. And then he said, and then I slapped a few of them. I, can you imagine that meeting? I just walk right over and grab John and just punch him one. I get through punching him and get over and get Jeff and just whip him right out. It's easier to whip you. You're shorter. You're next, Josh. You're small. He's too big. He might be too. I'll whoop you. I'm looking for the shortest guy in the room. He smote them. And then he plucked their hair out. I mean, I want you to, he goes over, grabbed by the hair, and he's drunken them across the room. And all of a sudden he looks down and then nobody, nobody's there. He just got hair in his hand. 
This is a deacon's meeting. Say amen. And then he made them swear and say, we won't do it anymore. We're sorry. And when I was a kid, you used to play uncle. Y'all don't, it'd be, it would be bad to do this today. But in the old days, you'd grab your hands like this, and he'd grab his hands, and whoever could twist them, and the kid had to go, uncle, when you whooped them bad enough. Nowadays, y'all couldn't do that. You, your kids would get in trouble for manly stuff like that. But anyway. <clears throat> he said, you will say you're not going to do wrong anymore. Y'all going to get it right today. And then he says, can I remind you that the smartest king we ever had, a king like no other king, he married the wrong kind of women and it messed up his life. Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 26, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? He married outlandish women. You know what outlandish means, don't you? Out of this land. Really just means he married those women that worshiped Islam. He married those women that worshiped Hinduism. He married those women who worshiped other gods. And when you do that, you bring compromise. <clears throat> Nehemiah 13, 27. He knows that they knew they could fall into the same trap. He said, shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil? You know, it's a big evil for you to want to hang out and be friends with people that don't love God. When your buddies are beer guzzling, sex fiends, <laughs> and you're hanging out, birds of a feather flock together, sweetie. That's why some of us are in church this morning. We're in church because we're looking for our own kind. Great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange women. In verse 13, 28, one of the smart Alex stood up and said something, and so he just chased him out of the room. You can, can you see this right here? I'm talking to all you people. And some of us stood up right there. Nehemiah just takes off running. So I'm kick your rear if I can catch you. The guy's headed for the door. He said, you done seen me snatching hair out of heads? Watch this. I'm fixing to kick you. And the guy's booking it out the door. And then he said, I hope God punishes you. Chapter, 29, uh, chapter 13, verse 29. Remember them, O oh my God. They defiled the priesthood. They broke the covenant. And so I cleaned it up, verse 30. And in verse 31, he said, so remember me, God. Remember me, God. <clears throat> Here's some major lessons to be learned from Nehemiah chapter 13. You need to choose spiritual blessings over material ones. Making money isn't as important as your walk with God. And yet, you'll move to another town where there's no church that preaches the book. And you'll skip church for a dollar. That's cheap prostitution. You're not careful. You will choose comfort and convenience over the cross. You're called to a cross. You will choose what makes you feel good over obedience. You should hunger for the approval of God like Nehemiah does. Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah kept saying, hey, remember me? Remember me? Hey, God, remember me? I'm taking a stand. Remember me? We're like, I, got time to, I don't care what God thinks. I got to do what I like this week. I'll get around to God when I'm dying and on my deathbed. But your kids won't be praying for you, buddy. They'll have learned not to pray from you. 
I'm old enough to retire if y'all need that. This is what the book says. Be careful what you teach your children. Be careful what you teach your children. If you learn the language of the world, then do not be surprised when they choose the world over Jesus. If you learn the language of the world, then do not be surprised if they choose the world over Jesus. I don't mean to be ugly, but I don't mind being ugly. Just to be blunt honest, I'm in Nehemiah. I mean, I'm like the nicest guy you ever met. I ain't hit a one of you. I ain't snatched any of your hair out. I ain't chased anybody out of the room. But just, just take what Nehemiah is saying. Nehemiah is saying, stand for God. Yeah, your kid's going to want to go to that activity. Yeah, your wife's going to want to. Yeah, you're going to want to. But somewhere along the way, you stand up and say, God first. God first. If you show little respect for God in his worship, then your children probably will not serve God. Are your children learning to do what lost kids do? Or what God's kids do. You do not know how much I want you to love me. It's one of my biggest weaknesses. I want people to love me. But the truth is in this chapter. And anybody in this church that knows the Bible knows I hadn't stretched it a bit. Be careful who your children date and marry. Has long lasting consequences. How do you handle your money? Are you honoring God with your money? See, they didn't honor God with their money. That's why they could put Tobiah in the treasury room. Are you taking care of the things of God? Or are you forsaking the house of God? What are you teaching your children? Most important thing in my life is this. God, let me have four children. And I want them to serve Jesus. And when I'm laying in a casket in a few years, I hope my kids walk by and say, Daddy loved Jesus, and we do too. I hope my kids walk by and say, he put Jesus first, and we will too. I don't need a trophy. I don't need a lot of money. But I do need Jesus. Where are you? What are you teaching your children?